Welcome back to The Shed, everyone. We're happy that you are here with us. We're all hopeful that we can see the end of Zoom sheds coming. But for the moment, it's Zoom. This is episode 116 in an endless, hopefully endless array of entertainment. we got a bunch of stuff today. We always have a bunch of stuff. There's some things you're going to learn. Some things you're going to hear us mangle up and do wrong. So you'll have to write in to instruct us. Lee, of Courtney. Um... So sit back, relax, and listen to all the mistakes RJ makes. <laughs> Did you guys notice on your shots that, like, I don't know about you, I've given blood a whole bunch of times, I've had blood drawn a whole bunch of times, and so that's what a needle feels like to me, but man, the vaccination shot was literally, I didn't feel the needle go into my arm. Me no. too. I, yeah, I me just too. couldn't believe it. I, I actually said something to the person, right? Me too. Like, yep. What the, what happened? How did you do that? Did you put anesthetic on my arm? And she said, no. I said, I didn't yeah. feel anything. Like I always awesome. do. The, I always use the same line and sometimes they laugh, but most of the, they hear this line several times a day, right? It's just, it so what, no, when are you going to put it in? <laughs> <laughs> That's what she said. Oh my God. Sorry. There you go. Good one, Moby. Good one. <laughs> That's where I thought. That's where I thought you were getting your laugh. Actually, no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, no. I don't know what exact words I use, but it's something like. I just was floored, and of course the dental needles are so much better now than they were in the old days too. I know there's certain gums where it's gonna, no matter what size needle, it's gonna be weird. But sometimes, sometimes I don't feel a needle go in. But they do. They do the anesthetic too, usually in your gum. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they also have tricks. Like they'll go, okay, so he's holding your cheek like this. And he yeah. says, okay, I'm going to tug on it. Get a little oh. tug here. <laughs> and he just, he tugs it at the same, he goes yeah. like that at the yeah, same yeah. instant. And you really just don't feel mm-hmm. a needle because. That's right. Even though he tells you he's going to do it, you're fully distracted by that little tug and the needle just goes unnoticed. Jeez, I want your dentist. Mine slaps me. <laughs> <laughs> Is it in yet? Mine slaps. <laughs> oh, okay. Hey, uh, speaking of uh, youngsters, uh, Ogre's a uh, granddad. So Michelle oh. had a baby in uh, Williams Lake, and Ogre's holding the fort at Bella Coola. So shout out to Ogre for being a granddad, yeah. and Michelle yeah. and her guy. Long Very time nice. Listener, Ogre of Nelson. Way to go. That's really cool. Really cool. Ooh, call him a granddad too. That'll be fun. Well, since you're mentioning Ogre, he sent us a nice note that he had done a presentation to the Kootenai Mountaineering Society because him, a club, and his and him and Michelle had uh, kayaked the Bentink Arms, the South and the Main ones, out of Bella Coola. And he did an awesome presentation Basically, it's more than just photos of where they paddled. It kind of talks a lot about part of the interior that I've never seen and really want to see. Now I do, yeah. Yeah, which is like the Chilcotin Plateau. So the drive from uh, Williams Lake out to west to Bella Coola. Really want to go up there. Looking forward to doing a lot more Canadian vacations. (laughs) uh, (laughs) And also, so he's got like... Bits of history and interesting little hikes you can do on the way. Just just a really cool little travelogue there. And then also a bit about Bella Coola itself and the demographics and where the power comes from and 
like and all accompanied by photos or maps or Google Earth. So just a great little presentation. Even historical pictures, right? Didn't you have yeah. some of those in there? Yeah, it was, oh, it yeah, was yeah. really great. Really hey, good did, thing. Hey, and uh, you know, listeners, you'll be able to see this. We'll have a link to it in the show notes, like the full video. It's uh, it's an hour highly recommended. Just sit down and relax and, and uh, have a good view through it. But that and that old photo that you're talking about, the one that has a boardwalk. Yeah. You know, I never, did you see in the very background? I swear there's a bear back there. I didn't notice. <laughs> I'm going to have to ask Ogre because he didn't, he didn't notice either because he would have mentioned it. But uh, anyway. That can't be true because, well, maybe it is. I don't know. For Osters, the photo was taken, it looks like at about, you know, 1890 or 1910 or something like that. And oh. the old uh, indigenous village was, has long since vanished. But when they had it, they had boardwalks to get around because it was built on pretty swampy ground to be near the water. It, the whole thing, I'm, I'm with RJ on this. You really should take the time to look at this. I've never seen that country before. And I've never been honestly especially interested in going to see it. But having watched the video and seen the scenes and the pictures of the towns and the places up there, yeah, I would really like to go have a look. Should we do a listener mail? In our last session, uh, we covered quite a bit of listener mail, so we actually only have a few pieces to talk about. Okay, uh, Lee from Courtney in response to our Shauna Sylvester uh, interview. She says, hi dogs, Shauna Sylvester was a terrific interviewee, I must say, articulate, engaging, and thoughtful. There were a couple areas where I was hoping for the follow-up question to gain even more insight. So, you know, we let uh, Lee down there. Let's see like when she was talking about what Burnaby had done regarding housing and said that there were great things, but what have those things been? Yeah, and I, I should know them because I live here in Burnaby. Um, I do know the only thing that brings to mind is that they have set up additional housing for uh, low income or homeless people, actually, in a little place on Norland. So like I think there's 50 more spots there, but that is a good point. And when she said she asked Kennedy Stewart a second time why he ran against her for mayor of Vancouver after his first answer wasn't very sat satisfactory, she never said what his next answer was. So I can only assume that uh, it was a pretty well the same answer. That's exactly <clears throat> what I thought. When I, when I read that in Lee's note, that's exactly this. We should have asked. Yeah, she's right. Yeah. Um, is now the time to defensively remind everyone that we're not professionals? Is, is this the right time for that? <laughs> That's it. That's a good time. Yeah. Uh, she says, the only thing I'd even remotely take issue with her on is when she said that citizens don't approach problem solving with an agenda, that they come to make value-based decisions. And Lee goes on to say, I think that citizens too often do come with an agenda, whether it's NIMBY or just disguised NIMBY, not in my backyard, that is. It's often all about them, in quotes, and not about what's best collectively. Gotta agree with Lee on that. And uh, I think I think Shauna's intention was that if these sessions are facilitated well, if they use the techniques that encourage uh, open dialogue about um, interests, at least people's interests do come to the fore and people are appear to be a lot better able to work to a consensus even when it doesn't fully go with their interests. Tell you what, I just saw a post this morning from our former guest, Bowen Ma. She's the MLA for Lower Lonsdale, where she talked about a meeting between 
a number of NDP MLAs, BC Liberal MLAs, federal Liberal MLAs, and what do you get? And she said community community results, community service, can't remember exactly. Anyway, she said, she reported that a meeting like that where they collaborate is really good. And my response was, yeah, we spoke to Shauna Sylvester and the WASC Center for Dialogue specializes in that kind of thing. And those sorts of meetings where there's representatives from many parties at different levels of government, I want those meetings. I want them to go well. That was the most exciting thing out of that Shauna thing was the idea that there's people who specialize in that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got a couple from uh, Uncle Rob from uh, Saskatoon. He's been making his way through. He's up to episode 45, which was called Shed Dogs Encrypted. He says, awesome episode, guys. Uh, we In that episode, we must have talked about uh, Apple Music. I think I might have done a PSA that I personally, because I was spending too much money on buying. Yeah, that's I right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway, he said, he said, I did finally join Apple Music despite the crappy MP3 bandwidth. So Rob does like the high quality sound. He's got a nice set of speakers and everything. But what he says, there are some terrible albums in that uh, book called A Thousand and One Albums You Must Hear Before You Die. And uh, I do personally have that book and it's, it's pretty fun to look for, uh, some good albums in there, but there's, there's some bad albums too. Anyway, uh, Rob goes on to say, I bought lots out of that book and frisbeed lots. (laughs) (laughs) We used to, yeah, I think you guys know what that means in our, to our listeners. Frisbeeing refers to LPs to our younger listeners. (laughs) Some reviewers in the book are knowledgeable. Some are not now. If I can't live without an album I've enjoyed on Apple Music, I purchase the album. I've got about 3,000 albums on my to-buy list, and I'm slowly going through them, going through Apple Music to audition the albums they have. There are a lot that they don't. 60 million songs on Apple Music, and that's not enough. Yep, 19, er, 78 RPM lacquers, Played with steel needles, develop some noisy surfaces. 10-inch 45s are often singles, and 10-inch 33s are often EPs, but not always. Uh, Mom had a lot of 10-inch classical albums, complete and nowhere near saturated like A Wizard, A True Star was, which I bought because I liked the cover. Hadn't heard of Todd Rundgren yet, uh, although I think you guys were enjoying something, anything at the time. Great album, lousy sound. So we got a little bit of stream of consciousness from Uncle Rob there. Basically, out of Apple Music, he gets to sample them, and then if he likes them, he buys them for the better sound quality. Interestingly, just yesterday, I think it was, Apple announced that starting in June, Apple Music subscribers can go to the full sound quality at no additional charge. So if you got the bandwidth and you got the storage, not only can you do CD sound quality, you can go the next step up, like doubling the sample rate and going from 16 bits of information per sample to 24 bits, um, which is a lot more. It's not just a third more. It's maybe three, four times as much information. So Anyway, so that'll be good news for him. Like if he wants to keep stuff now, he doesn't have to pay for it anymore. I just want to throw in that I never noticed that the sound quality on Wizard of True Star was terrible. I just didn't notice. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, they crammed, I think, 48 minutes onto that. And anytime you go over 45 minutes, you got to get those uh, the little uh, grooves very, very close to each other. So you got to cut back on the bass because even with the, uh, the RIA normalization curve that removes bass that gets put back in by the stereo, there's just like the needles going left to right <laughs> and the grooves are so close to each other, the needle just pops out, right? So... So they cut way, yeah. So if you re-listen to Wizard of True Star, then you start to go, oh, actually the bass is pretty, not Maybe much on there. Just for fun. I got it. It's just, I haven't listened to it in a hundred years. Yeah. And it was kind of, yeah, Todd Rundgren was kind of fancied of some, himself a really good engineer. Well, it's good to know that Rob's uh, persevering over there. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, Rob. <laughs> Just as we were recording, brand new uh, letter from Nancy of New Westminster on uh, episode 114, Lee Goes to the Oscars. Hey dogs, great to hear Lee on air. The Oscars was a big disappointment this year. It just seemed awkward. Not my experience, Nancy, but uh, anyway, you're welcome to your opinion. Uh, She says, I have... Just a little taste. Every time we talk, it's like this. She says, I have always looked forward to the in memoriam segment, but they went through the name so fast. Okay. I agree. That was pretty bad. I couldn't keep up with most of it. And I missed the anticipation for the last award, the coveted big picture. Not this year. I found it all kind of strange. And I agree with Lee. It weirded me out to see people sitting in groups and the hugging really got me. We're definitely getting too paranoid now, and I wonder what will happen when we are told that COVID is over. I like uh, that phrasing, eh? When we are told that COVID is over. That yeah. is an interesting little bit of phrasing there. Yeah, well. And I, I got to say, people wondered the same thing back with the old pandemics. Yeah. And um, we don't know very, don't remember very much about it, but back with the tuberculosis and polio, um, there were anti-vaxxers, a lot of people very skeptical, a lot of rumors that you got seriously ill from taking this shot. Um, a lot of people unhappy to wear masks. Yes, they were wearing, wearing masks back then. And, uh, yep. Within, I'll bet you 10 years or even shorter, certainly by the modern times, not a tiniest bit of memory about all that. Mm. Um, so you know, my feeling is that it won't take long before we're all hugging and kissing strangers in the streets again. What you guys weren't doing that? Anyway, um, she's she says, <laughs> "Cut that skin." Uh, the the crowd so the crowd here on to say. <laughs> the crowd the crowd here didn't react very well to that. So you should take that out. Uh, Nancy goes on to say the discussion on pots and pans made me laugh, so I looked it up. A pot has tall sides and two loop handles, while a pan is shallow with one long handle. Pots are used for simmering or boiling liquids that completely cover ingredients to cook from all sides. And this one, a pot is specially dedicated for liquids. Pots are used by chefs to boil water for cooking pasta, rice, boiling vegetables, etc. Saucepans, this is the first time she mentions that, Odd term. Saucepans are best used to cook sauces and other liquids. The steep sides of saucepans give them the ability to evenly heat sauces. Sounds like saucepan and pan is synonymous of 
frying pan is the same as a skillet. All right. Well, I tell you, that didn't really <laughs> clear it up for me at all. I know. Thanks, Nancy. Great effort. I never even thought to look it up. Okay. But I'm still a little nonplussed. Okay. Well, uh, I'm fairly plussed about it. But uh, in the in the if you go back to that episode now and you look at the link section, you'll see a links to a pots and pans article that I do think really helps us with clarity. You got your pot. That's the one with the two handles on the side. That's fairly deep. That's just like Nancy said. You got your pan. That's the one with a great big long single handle, and it's fairly wide. Is like, it is it tall? And then you got your saucepan. So what the saucepan is, it's a combination of a pot and a pan. So it is tall compared to its width, but it doesn't have the two handles. That's it. So that's what a saucepan is. It's kind of like a pot, a little smaller than a normal pot, tall relative to its width, and it has a single handle. That's your saucepan. That's what I would call a small pot. Okay, now going back to the original deal, what was it that you were seeing in those recipes that threw you? Were they asking you to fry stuff in a saucepan? I'll tell you what it is because, uh, I don't, and I don't think I mentioned this when we had the seg- segment. Um, sometimes they'll say, get a small pot. Yeah. Well, what is a small pot but a saucepan? I mean, nobody sells you a, t- a smallish pot with two handles on each side. They just don't because no. you don't need them. It's lightweight, right? So anyway, sometimes the recipes will say, get a small pot and other times they'll say, get a saucepan. And then I'm going, what? But anyway, I think I'm much better now. You know, I've, I've come through this process being comfortable now when they say to use a saucepan, I, I now know what they mean. Well, that's, that's good, RJ. That's really why we do this podcast. It is for me. So that you can achieve comfort in these various little areas of your life that are causing you distress that's important i think various is a good kj is that uh, that's the only reason i'm here is to help rj nice to you nice of you to say various i think the adjective i was looking for was many (laughs) but uh yeah but i thought the problem was that they were asking you to fry stuff in a saucepan well sometimes if you don't pre-read the whole recipe and i assure you i do but uh, if you don't (laughs) You know, the first thing you're going to do is toss some garlic in there. Well, then you don't know what you're doing next. Like, so you think, actually, I am frying something in this saucepan. But usually that's about the only thing you're going to saute in there. It's going to be on to the heavy liquids after. But Okay, so they do ask you to do it in a saucepan. <laughs> Sometimes, yeah. Essentially fry something. Okay, well. Yeah. And Nancy, excellent work on that part. And... Another thing we mentioned in that episode is we showed, you know, we clearly explained what NFTs are. <laughs> and um, we obviously knew what we were talking about. And uh, yeah. the block, the blockchain, of course. Oh, of course. Uh, blockchain technology. Yeah. If you yeah. say that in that kind of tone, people will just, they'll fall yeah. on their knees. And what some people call cryptocurrencies, which we, of course, could just call crypto. <laughs> and uh, so she says... <laughs> So I also spent about 30 minutes reading all about NFTs. Yep, still don't get it. (laughs) And more to the point, why would anyone spend money on this stuff? It's way too complicated for this old girl. And I got to say, it's way too complicated for, I bet you, 98% of the people that read those articles, including us. I, I've, I've come back to it a couple of different times in articles and tweet, and I just, nope, nothing. 
it basically comes down to the same sort of speculative thing that you do when you buy a stock that supports a company that's doing some business that you neither know about nor care about. You just, I don't care what they're doing. I don't care who they sell it to. All I care about is their stock's been going up and some other guy says it's going to go up more. So I'm buying it. It's the same thing. I do love Beeple's art though. <laughs> I mean, I just like the, right after Trump lost the election, there's that uh, wonderful little uh, GIF video that he put up. This great big lumbering Trump body face down in the ground, a giant body with the uh, kind of loser written all over it. <laughs> and a little uh, Twitter bird sitting on top of Trump tweeting a picture of a clown. <laughs> and Sims-like characters walking back and forth and completely ignoring him. Loved the whole thing. Put a little uh, link to that in the show notes. Thank you, yeah, Nancy from New Westminster. It's awesome letter. And Lee, you too. All, always good. Always good. Yep. And Uncle Rob. I think yeah. we're going to hold, we're holding a dialogue with Rob. Uh, he listens to the episodes about a year after we did them, posts about them. We reply about a year later. He hears our reply. <laughs> and That's funny. <laughs> it is. It's like, uh, you know, black holes exist. We travel through one. No, well, but it's still, it is a dialogue nonetheless. Yeah. That's great. Uh, KJ. Okay. Now is the time for KJ Snappers. And we should have theme music for this. Yes, yes. Occurring, and I believe it is. So let us hear it. I think you should find the music for Reach for the Top. Didn't they have oh. short snappers at the end of Reach for the yes. Top? Yes. Well, somewhere yes. in there, they'd have the around of short snappers. Yes. Right, right. Okay, this is the first one because this is the I got the idea from this. The first one is, and you can look this up. And do no we cheating, uh, no do we cheating. raise our hands? Is it like I go like that? Sure, if I wanna... sure, yeah, yeah. And I'll be the judge of how fast those hands go up. Who knows what the term K Street means. No idea. What? K Street. I'll raise my hand. Do you get penalized for an incorrect guess? No. Yeah, or yes, we send you to the corner. No, 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 no. Well, I think it has to do with Korea Street and it has to do with, you know, Korean food and culture, but I just got nothing. What is it? What is it? Uh, that's why I'm asking, because you guys are so knowledgeable about all things. It has to do with Wall Street, Main Street. You know the difference between Wall Street and Main Street? Yes. Yes. Uh, I know that one, too. But K Street is in there, too, and I'm not sure what it refers to. Oh, okay. If it's... So you're talking about the uh, the figurative Wall Street and the figurative Main Street? Yes, yes, yeah? yes. Yeah. And so K Street is a figurative street, so and I don't know what it is. It has to do with that whole genre of finances and something, but I, on the same talk, topic, I'm, does anybody know what a 401k is? Oh, I do. I do too. But and before, we, before okay. we leave K Street, uh, I just Googled it. So uh, it's a major thoroughfare in Washington, D.C. Wait. In, in political discourse, K Street has become a metonym 
and that's another question, what is one of those, for Washington's lobbying industry. So when you hear K Street and KJ, you probably hear it on MSNBC. Yes. Um, then they're referring to the lobbyists. Oh, okay. Yeah, because, uh, you know, there's also the term the Beltway Press, right? Yes. Well, yes. that I at least, yeah. Yeah. Uh, th- that, that I would infer easily, but not K Street. Well, that was a good starter, you guys. I'm Excellent. Well, actually, qu- quite uh, stumped the panel. Pleased that you guys were stumped. Okay. <laughs> well, maybe I'll just do these in order. Uh, who knows what? Oh, I better make sure I can see you guys. Who knows what the diplomatic core is in the United States? Well, I have an idea what it is. Yeah, I only have an idea what it is. Uh, RJ, I saw your fan first. Hand first. Well, yeah, and PJ kind of started talking before I put my hand up, but he he didn't follow the rules, so I agree with your, your choice. We're all about rules here. Mm-hmm. All our listeners know that. If there's one thing we're known for in this podcast, it's rules. Yeah, and I only sort of have an idea. that So the diplomat, and maybe it's a trick question, but the diplomatic core would be a whole set of employees related to the diplomats. So for, say, for Americans, it would be... Uh, the diplomatic missions to different countries, including the embassies, the staff who support those embassies could be administrative people. And so would that be the diplomatic corps? Just a guess. Uh, that's what perhaps. I that, that's my guess too. It's the whole foreign <coughs> office thing. What do you call a minister? What What is the, in Canada, it's the minister of foreign affairs, right? So there's ambassadors everywhere. The ambassadors have office guys. Secretary of State? Yeah. Mm. Secretary is the, of State, is the, the Yeah, yeah. And the Home Office in the UK. Yeah, Those are yeah. all diplomatic corps, I think. But it's the I, ambassadors, it's everybody. For some I reason, think. I got the feeling that the diplomatic corps, the way I was listening to it was sort of, they were Washington-based. It wasn't like they were in the embassies around the world. They were literally washington based now i could be wrong but i'm just well they are washington based in the sense that that's where the secretary of state sits and that's where the senior diplomats sit right the guys that instruct all the ambassadors mm-hmm. and all the uh what do you call the places that ambassadors embassies <laughs> they instruct all the embassies on how they're supposed to respond to various situations in various countries it all comes from washington yep. so I think it's reasonable to come away with a perception that the diplomatic corps is centered in Washington, at least, if that's what you had. Good, 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 good. good. Keep going, KJ. Okay, Quick. next one. Yeah. Head up. H-E-T, I believe. Head up. Sorry, H, what do you... H-E-T. H-E-T. Oh, head up. The HUD. He, he's all head up about... Oh. Oh, oh, I see. Worked up. Something like that, but... Uh, yeah, he's all worked up. That's what that expression means. Yes, I, I... And what? where would that H-E-T come from, oh, you linguists? Good God. No idea. Sorry, that's a fun question. No idea. Did you, any of you guys study Latin in school? No. No. But when you learn French, like we all had to, you get told a whole bunch about Latin roots of words uh, by we, way of explaining how meaning has been carried through various languages because it originated with Latin, right? Mm-hmm. But no, I didn't study it. Um, okay. Good. Het up. 
Anybody? Anybody? Anybody want to take a guess on an origin before we Google it, or is it too late, RJ? Oh, yeah, I've already been Googling it. I can't even make a comparison to a sort of a, a, a bigger English word. or. A... I'm going to say it's an abstraction of heated. Yes. Uh, History and etymology for het up is het is a dialect past of heat. So heated, het means heated. Nailed it in one. You did, you did nail it. Very well done. Um, first known use uh, in this context was in 1909. Oh, so fairly new. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez, no, that's good. I, I've never thought about that one before. hundred years from now, someone's going to say, okay, I got one for you guys. Any idea what the word, the term woke means? Yeah. Or, or crypto. Or crypto. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. On the, on those same, in the same vein, bums rush. Okay. I think I'd know that one. Isn't that where... Um, You're looking for origin? Sorry, RJ. I'm, I, well, I, I think I... Sorry, RJ. Like I mean. sort of understand. Yes, go go ahead, RJ. Yeah, I sort of understand too, isn't it? Isn't it like suddenly surprising someone, particularly from behind? Like equivalent to a sucker punch, but... Oh. Or is or is it, oh, is it throwing someone out of a building? Yes, it's more like that. I believe it's throwing somebody out or, you know, originated with throwing them out of a building. Yeah, like... Like a bum. You give him the bum's rush. In other words, the bum gets rushed, he gets tossed out yeah. before he can put up a fight kind of thing. And No, no, I've, I've been in a situation where somebody says, somebody who was working for me said, uh, I feel like I'm getting the bum's rush out of here. <laughs> and he was, but yeah. not, in a, not in a kind of a throw out, but we were certainly suggesting where the entrance or the exit was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I won't go into any more detail there. Very nice. Where the exit was, I get that. Uh, okay, for the last one, which is uh, actually a little bit of a screw up on my part, explain to me the word disingenuous. And originally, I I'll just say that I think when I hear this word, I think I don't hear genuous. I hear generous. And then, oh, I see. And I go, oh, in, so when I think in generous, I think well, that's sort of. Isn't that counter generous? And then when you get disingenuous, so now is genuous a word on its own? I don't think so. Not to my knowledge. Is ingenuous a word? Yeah, I yeah. think uh, ingenue. Ah. You know, an ingenue is a young, innocent, yes. uh, usually female. And so an ingenue is ingenuous. They're naive, they're sweet, they're open. And they will often just, everything is obvious about them. Everything they say is what they're really feeling and thinking. And if you are disingenuous, you are misleading somebody into believing you're thinking something different than you really are. Ah, good answer, In other words, Skinny. you're lying. Yes, you're yes. Used rotten. often in the political yeah. world. Yeah, yeah. I would agree. And uh, looking at the definition here, it says lacking in candor. If you're disingenuous. Yes, yeah. yes. So... Yes. So not necessarily lying uh, could also be lying by omission. That's right. It's often a, a legal term too in um, in law. Like they say, they accuse somebody of being disingenuous. Like you're not telling us all yeah. the. Anyway, uh, gentlemen, thank you for the first round of KJ Short Snappers. Hey, play the theme excellent. music. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you.
So oh. I'm going to leave that one in any list, just like we leave listener mail in. Yeah, yeah. I, I, and I will add as I go, because I hear these little, they, they pop into my head every so often. I thought, what the hell is that? Mm-hmm. Do you guys recall way back when, when Cromer was in and he talked about Marsh Rat? The Marsh yes. Rat videos? Oh, yeah, yeah. Removing a stump? Well, oh, out yeah, the yeah. clear blue sky, two or three days ago, poof, YouTube presented me with Marsh Rat as an option to watch. So I watched, <laughs> I watched the first two or three episodes and it was really I don't know what Cromer found appealing about it but it was just really funny the guy he goes to remove this stump and as we discussed way back there this is about episode 48 or something like that it's way back there the guy goes to remove this stump and he's emphatic that this is the easy way not the not the fast way and basically he just doesn't remove it it just oh I thought I thought eventually he solves it well, I think he does, but in the three episodes I watched, by the third one, he's doing a review and sort of saying, well, I've learned a couple things. He's got this heavy accent, and one of the things he's learned is you should never start publishing episodes when you don't know how it's going to end. <laughs> yeah, Jeez, I laugh. Doesn't this start to rain on his experiment? Well, it rains a couple of yeah, times, yeah. and he, he has to start all over again. Right. He's using briquettes and wood and... All this stuff, and he just, and I really laughed at his, he's helpfully telling us that you probably shouldn't embark on publishing episodes when you don't know how it's all going to turn out. God, I laugh. But I do think that eventually he gets it. I don't know how he does it. I didn't watch those ones. But yeah. I just thought, I cannot believe this has just surfaced in my feed after all this time. I so do remember, I are, shout out think to you. he put something flammable. He drills down Cooking. and... Yeah. Cooking oil. Yeah, that's right. And then so eventually, if it doesn't rain for a while, isn't the plan to burn it down? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And he he puts cooking oil and he lets it soak forever. And then he dumps charcoal briquettes all over it and he lets those burn. <laughs> then he dumps more charcoal briquettes and lets those burn. And he gets yeah. rained on a couple of times. Yeah. Then he builds just a straight up wood fire on top of it. Yeah. And that, you know, it just doesn't, I don't know how he finally solves it. But, but eventually he reduces it to ash. See, you might think he wasn't successful for many episodes. I think he was very successful. Because that was back when YouTube videos paid better than they do now. <laughs> I I calculated he must have made 100000 bucks off those videos. Oh, did you? <laughs> yeah, like the number of viewers is super high and back in the day. Uh, yes. So, and, uh, well, I guess the appeal was his sort of uh, media ineptness where he's just doing this stuff. Right. Yeah. And he's sincerely pursuing it, but it's just funny because he just has these fails again and again. And I would uh, think that that would be Cromer's appeal to to watch yeah. it almost the same as um, who are the duck guys? The duck, oh yeah, dynasty those, duck dynasty guys, duck dynasty guys, <laughs> so yeah. just with funny accents, and they just do weird shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, that one uh, it was really something I I had never watched it at the time. And I don't know why I decided to watch it now, but uh, in the end, nice recommendation from Cromer because I, I got a, quite a laugh out of it, <laughs> out of that guy. Speaking of videos, uh, our listeners will probably have an idea by now that I'm not the greatest mechanical type in the world. But, uh, <laughs> you know, but over, over the decades, you, you pick up this and you pick up that. So I was really pleased to see what I would call a perfect presentation of how an internal combustion engine works. 
I know the basics. I understand what a piston is. I could even kind of semi describe an inline versus a V and I know that there's a couple of valves involved. I know over the years I've just picked up this stuff. I'd kind of forgotten what the camshaft does, but I remember now because I watched this video. Anyway, I'm going to put a link to this. It's a perfect animated description like of how everything in an engine, where everything goes, how things turn. They're all 3D models and they're animated, but it's that great form of animation where you drag the slider. So you're controlling the speed of the animation. You go, what just happened there? You just scrub it back a little bit. You go, oh, I see what happened. You can you can also turn these models in any angle that you want to and then run that slider. And he just goes on and on. Like who would have thought, like where does engine coolant flow? Like I know there's engine coolant, but where, how does that work? What and, what year of engine are you talking about? Well, they, they kind of talk about it as they go. They're saying this used to be common before some modern engines don't do this or that. So uh, so probably more like classic engines, uh, yes. like 70s. No, not computer engines. Well, they mention fuel injection um, yeah. versus carburation and things like that. But yeah, no, more more like older engines. I, I didn't watch the entire thing, so I don't know how far it goes, but he for sure deals with, you know, like a straight eight versus a V. Uh, he talks about, uh, I believe he talks about diesel. I can't even remember for sure. He talks about valves, how they work. He basically gives you the understanding that you need. I don't think he talks about an interference or a non-interference type design, you know, that kind of but stuff. But he shows but how oil it's really flows great. from the main journals yeah. to the rod journals, of course. and Which... Which is a thing I didn't even know until just the other day. Like, yeah. I really didn't. And, you know, it's it's easy to say you already knew this, but, you know, it's nice to know how the snap rings keep the gudgeon pins from falling out. <laughs> no, exactly. And I would have known that, but I didn't know until just the other day that uh, oil was pushed up through the middle of rods and sprayed out those little holes at the top and the camshaft too. Yeah. Those engines are, the engines are magic because... Each item was added one at a time, roughly. So they started out, they must have been super simple back in the days when it first, like before, right after the steamers, you know, they had the the fuel internal combustion engines and they must have been really rudimentary. And then all these things that got added over the years to make them just be such a marvel of of engineering. The evolutionary aspect of it is pretty fun and those illustrations that you're talking about rj are just terrific if you really ever have wondered how a motor works that's a really super excellent place to find yeah it. like there will be like uh, three sentences describing a process and some key words in those sentences like journals which i'd never heard of ever uh-huh. and maybe many of our yeah. listeners haven't heard of those in the context of an engine they'll be in a color like the word journals will be a color and then the picture the journals are that color. So it's just like yeah. really thoughtful how they've done it. I had to, I always like to have eight rims. And so I bought four rims and my, you know, my newish car has the tire pressure monitors. Didn't realize they're mandatory now for safety. I did not know that yeah. either. So, you know, you buy rims and they have to install these tire pressure gauges that have little sender units. A bit of coin. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, so I drove home from this. I got my new tires and my new rims and 
I get home, I check my tire pressure, uh, and it reads out just fine. So now I know my pressures and I know that they did it properly. Do you have to get that done at the dealer? Sorry. Nope, I didn't. Uh, the, the okay. service, uh, this is a third party, great little service place called Deckers in Burnaby that I mentioned from time to time. Oh, you've mentioned them. Yeah. Yeah. So then the next day, uh, no tire pressures. So now I hit the manual cause I know that there's things that the, uh, the owner can do themselves. And so I go through the incantations and it's pretty, pretty bad. You have to hold down a button and watch for some blinking and then drive the car for at least 20 minutes over 40 kilometers per hour. And it goes, you know, if you're going fast, it takes less time if you, anyway. So I think because the calibration has to happen while the tires are warming up. Right. So anyway, um, uh, never can get that reading back ever. So a couple, three weeks later, I get it into the dealer. It turns out what they had done was they ran their little electronic system that tells the car what the new serial numbers are on these tire pressure monitors while they had the old wheels in the trunk. And so the car was picking up the old wheels still and never did. So that's why it worked on the drive home. And of course, there's not a oh, wire. Wow. So those little sensors are Bluetoothy things or Ant or something. Yes, and they have little batteries in oh. them too. The, the, apparently, modern ones, not the ones I got, but modern ones, are starting to have little piezo electrical generators in them, just from the yeah, stress yeah. of the turning of the tire or something. Yeah, yeah, that makes total turn, sense. You know, because we get these, and about eight years down the road, all of a sudden, you're not getting your readings anymore. That's, uh, that is quite interesting. I had no idea those things were mandatory at all. I think they are. Uh, but yep. there's a ton of that. Like whew, a couple months ago, I replaced the battery in my daughter's 2007 Mazda three, you know? Okay. Well, big deal. It's just a battery. Take the old one out, get the new one, put it in done. No, <laughs> like 2007, she, she, you know, she starts driving around and she calls me. She's in a panic because the car keeps stalling stalls every time she comes to a stop at an intersection and she has to restart it. So I Google around and it turns out there's this same thing. There's a whole bunch of incantation and incense and clicking your heels together <laughs> to get the car knowledge of everything back right. after you've disconnected right. the battery, including how to idle properly as you come to a stop when you're in drive and it, wow. you have to sit there for like 20 minutes while it relearns idle speed. Don't touch the accelerator. Don't do that. It took forever to get me straight, get it straightened out. But there's like, thank heaven for Google because that is not an intuitive thing. And I bet you a dollar that's not in the owner's manual. Uh, the, the desire in the manufacturer's part is that you take it to the dealer and say, my car is an idle right now. And they say, well, you know, you should have had that battery replaced <laughs> by a qualified Mazda technician then. I just, yeah. I remember in my owner's guide, there's a whole bunch of stuff like that. If you're going to disconnect the battery, you have to do a whole bunch of stuff in a particular sequence. We're getting so detached from this stuff. I was just reminded the other day that my two or three year old car, the battery's not even up in the front. It's in the, it's in the trunk. <laughs> I just, I opened a little thing there to see if the, the jack was there and, oh, there's the battery. <laughs> so, oh. yeah. But, that's for, that's because you need a better handling. That's a sports car. Might be, I don't know. You know, and it's a, it might it be that there was no room left in the front. <laughs> it's, it's interesting though. It's a hybrid with this amazing expensive battery system in place to allow the hybrid to work. Yeah. But they still use the 12 volt for everything that you would expect. 
That's all we got for this week. Hope you had fun. We certainly did. We always do. There's a bunch of laughs in here. I think this week we managed to successfully avoid topics that are just simply out of reach. We got some listener mail about those topics, but we didn't try to, you know, strain ourselves mentally with stuff we couldn't grasp. There's a couple of questions I think still outstanding. You might want to send in answers if you have them uh, from uh, KJ's all new Quick Snappers segment. Let us know how you felt about that. We're pretty happy with it. Um, if you haven't had any of your shots, for heaven's sakes, get one. If you are getting your second one, let us know so we can congratulate you. But no matter where you are in the vaccination scheme of things, keep yourself safe, keep yourself happy, and come back and see us again real soon. Thanks a lot. Bye. Bye. So lame, RJ. Make an effort. Take care, all. Don't make a stranger yourself. Yeah. <laughs>